Spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Earth. Connecting you to the biggest stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Things are starting to heat up outside. Things are getting a little chilly in here. It's episode 316 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham. The reason I say that is we're going to hop aboard the Snowpiercer this week. That's right. The the premiere of Snowpiercer is this Sunday on TNT. So I thought I'd chat with one of the members of the tale. Katie McGinnis joins me this week. She talks about Josie and, you know, she's got a close relationship with Leighton, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about what life in the tale is like for the passengers and just the show in general. There's a bunch of intriguing things that we're going to talk about with her coming up a little bit later on. Plus, there's a lot of stuff to review this week. We'll be talking about Justice League Apocalypse War. People are comparing it to Endgame, see if I feel the same way. We've also got the Flash season has ended. Stargirl's going to be beginning. And I'll even tell you how you can save money on your wireless plan by switching to Mint Mobile, our sponsor this week. Hear more about that. But first, we're going to start out like we always do with comics. That's right. It's what we're reading next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Patrick Megan. I'm an executive producer at Family Guy and a writer at She Kills. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Just think you're going to be able to slide that long box out again, and you can still fire up the tablet or the laptop. Whatever you're reading on, it's time for what we're reading. And speaking of what we're reading, sometimes you don't know what you're going to ex- what you what to expect when you get it when you go into reading a new book. And this one, I really didn't. You're not going to be able to get your hands on this one until June. But I want to give you an early review of Ludocrats Number One from Image Comics. Karen Gillan and Jim. Rossingall, Rossingall, excuse me, on the writing. Jeff Stokely on the art. Tamara Bonvillain on the colors. Clayton Cowles on the letters. And Mikkel Jenin on the cover art. Now, I can't remember the last time I had such a what-the-hell-just-happened reaction after reading a comic book. This thing is wild and all over the place. And... Otto might be one of the biggest what-the-hell-is-going-on characters, too, that I've encountered in a long, long time. It's hard to really even begin to describe this book with or without spoilers. You know I always do these comic reviews spoiler-free, but it's... Here's the gist, okay? Here's the basis of it. The story actually follows the Ludocrats, whose mission in life basically is to make things not boring. Not a bad idea, right? This book definitely was not boring, at all. That that's one thing I can certainly absolutely 100% say for it. It's not boring. Now, sometimes keeping things from being boring can be, you know, quite messy and you could take that however you like. There there are actually some crazy things that happen and then we get a quick confrontation near the end. And I mean there's crazy throughout this first issue, okay? And there's there's a couple characters that are almost like the straight straight guys, you know, like how, you know, you've got a comedy team, you've got the funny one, and then you've got the, the straight one, which is, you know, the, the flat line kind of comedy, and they just pair well together. You've got a couple of those characters in this book, and again, it plays off of the ludocrats and some of the other more wild characters very, very well. Now, weddings can be crazy, and we've got a wedding in this first issue, and this reception's definitely going to be one that's hard to forget. That That is... 
for certain. And that's kind of all I can really tell you without spoiling any of the books. The, the unique character designs in this will jump out at you right away. There's a couple of things that you're not going to expect in this issue as well, as far as these characters are concerned. So I'm just going to put that out there. This book is, it's just, there's so much uniqueness throughout it. So if you enjoy something that's just different and unique, this is definitely one for you. And I really love the crazy art in this book. And again, those character designs that were really, really cool. And hats off, by the way, to Tamara Bond villains colors, because, you know, you can really bring out the brighter sense of animation in this crazy world with these colors. I mean, Stokely's art was really, really good as well. But without these colors, this book does not pop the way it does. So this is a huge testament, I feel like, to Tamara Bond villain. for, For me, this book is one of those I can't look away kind of books. Right. Like it didn't blow me away. It I'm going to remember it absolutely by the time it comes out. And when the when the next issue comes out in July, I'm interested. I can't really tell you whether or not I'd put it in my pull box or or if I would just, you know, try a couple of issues out. I'm so intrigued by this series that I, I can't remember the last time I just I'm a little wobbly here. I don't know what to make of it. And I kind of feel like that's a good thing. I mean, this is a book that's going to keep you on your toes. I feel like, and you don't know what's, you don't know what's coming. And in an age where we maybe need stories like that. So that's my recommendation. As far as ludocrats, number one is concerned. You could take that however you like. Going to go back to the justice league now and DC comics, justice league number 44. And apparently I can't get enough of Robert Venditti books because he writes this one as well. I am going to try this artist name. My best uh, Zermanico. I'm going to go with that for the art. Romulo Fajardo Jr. on the colors. Tom Napolitano on the letters. And Francis Manipal on the cover, which is amazing. Now, the League is actually called to assist Aquaman with a problem at an Atlantean outpost. And when I say problem, that's really an understatement. I mean, like, really an understatement. And once the League actually gets there, it's pretty much nonstop action on a massive scale until the last couple of pages of this book. If if you're in for a book that just just splashes the page with this with these intensely large action scenes, you're really going to be excited about what you see in these pages. That much I could tell you. Now, once the dust sort of settles in the final few pages, there's some questions that pop up, like was Atlantis the real target or was it something or someone else? That kind of gets addressed in this issue. But the final page has a big reveal, but those intentions of that are actually going to be saved for a, for a later issue. So something happens at the end that's kind of a big deal, but we won't know why or, or what the result, what the immediate results are going to be of that until issue number 45. But I got to tell you, it's... It's tense. This is definitely one that's going to make you wonder what's going to happen in the next issue. Considering what was happening in the issue, the art did not disappoint at all. Again, with these large action sequences, there's there's a lot to do and a lot to cover. And that is done perfectly by the art team in a way that was, I mean, again, this is one of those times where things could have got cluttered really badly and was not at all. So the the, the structure of this, 
the way things were presented, very, very well done by the art team. There was so much going on. I mean, just so much going on in these middle pages. And the tension that's brought out in this book towards the end, Venditti does a great job of the character dynamics that are involved in that tension. And it's and it's interesting the choices that get made of who has tensions with who. That That is one tease that I can give you without really spoiling anything. It's just very interesting how this is all laid out. And I'm up for this. Venditti does a great job. And, and, and uh, as someone who hasn't been a fan of what DC's done with the Justice League book recently, this is a good start to a new arc right here. So if you want to jump on board Justice League number 44, I can definitely recommend that for you because I'm going to be keeping on going myself. That's going to do it for what we're reading. Up next, got a lot of reviews to get to, and they're all DC-related. We're going to start with Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. That's up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm writer Margaret Scott, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is how it all ends. It's my spoiler-free review of Justice League Dark Apocalypse War from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. And the reason I say that is because this is the actual end of the DC animated movie universe of the past, what, 15 plus years or so. This marks the ending point of that. So what we're looking at here is, and again, I'm going to try my best not to spoil anything. If I think anything is an actual spoiler, I will throw it out at you. What we've got here is a, you know, a final battle against Darkseid, for the lack of a better way to put it. And, you know, we're dealing with the new gods here as well. But here's something I like. There's there's some out-of-character moments in this movie by some very key characters that really turn things on its head. And I mean right in the beginning of this movie. And right at the beginning of this movie, you're going to find out that this is not going to be a traditional way that a story like this is told. And I really, really love that. And and there's a lot of comparisons to Endgame here. And, and I think some of them are apt and some of them are not. And and I understand why people would make the comparison because, you know, that you, you almost can't get a big, uh, a, a bigger, last battle than dark side right just like with thanos in endgame but but here it just seems like there let me put it this way and and this is maybe a little bit of a spoiler okay so i'm going to preface that with this the digital version of this movie is out it's not out in physical release yet that's why i don't want to spoil anything but there's one decision that's made very early on in this movie that turns out to be a huge mistake and sets the tone for the rest of the movie, but it's that mistake that actually drives the story forward throughout the middle part of the story. And it's hugely important to what happens. And, and let me tell you this much, get ready for some uncomfortable moments. That much I will tell you right now, especially if you're a DC fan and you love these characters, there's characters that you love. And trust me, we see a ton of them in this movie. Get ready for some very, very uncomfortable moments. I mean, whether you're familiar with the whole DC animated movie universe or not, maybe you just decided to jump in and watch this one because you heard so much chatter about it and you were super interested. Well, guess what? Still, get ready for some very uncomfortable moments and get ready for, again, maybe a little bit of a minor spoiler, but I'm not going to name names, but get ready for some bodies to drop. 
I mean, seriously, see some bodies drop. I mean, there were some where, I mean, it, 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 it got me a little choked up a couple of times because I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Did they really just kill this character or that character? And you're like, yeah, they kind of did. It was like when I watched the Transformers animated movie for the first time all those years ago when I was younger, and all of a sudden you see these Transformers dropping like flies, and you're like, hold on a second. First of all, I didn't even know this was possible based on the cartoon that I've seen already. Second of all, well, what's happening right now? How crazy is this? And you're going to be really mad at one character in particular towards the beginning of this movie as well. And I, I, I will say this is just hold on to that and, and you know put that in your back pocket for later because it's going to come up again at some point. And I'm, I'm doing this not to spoil anything for one, for two. When you watch the movie, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about once you actually watch the movie. So all of this stuff will come together. And then it's it's what Dark Side does after that initial climactic point in the movie. And the things that you see from certain characters that you probably thought you would never see in a million years. And then it just that kind of thing just keeps popping up sporadically throughout the movie and you're like how is this happening right now how how did it get this bad this fast and that's and that's just it and you, and you know in movies like this you kind of hope that the good guys win but maybe you've got a little bit of doubt that they won't in this movie there's so much doubt that the good guys will win i was actually on the edge of my seat and i'm not typically on the edge of my seat in movies like this, because when you know there's a finality to it, you kind of feel like you know that, okay, eventually everything's going to be okay again, all's going to be right with the world. And that, that was one of the things with the end game, where I was like, okay, yeah, I, I knew that things were going to be bad. And I knew that there were things that certainly needed to be corrected from Infinity War, but at the same time, it, it's like, okay, I know eventually things are going to work out for the best and everything's going to be right with the world again. But whereas with this movie, you you doubt that throughout a lot of it, or at least I did. And I thought that that was one of the beauty parts of this movie. It was like, I don't know how everything's going to be okay. And I don't even know how they're going to do this. And then you see these little decisions that get made that turn out to sort of work out and build momentum in the hero's favor. And it's how they introduce each each character and each group of characters sporadically throughout the line that makes this more and more interesting as you go. And there's so many great performances in this movie as well, but I put this on social media earlier in the week. I got to point out Stuart Allen, who plays Damian Wayne, and Tessa Farmiga, who plays Raven. And those are two characters that in a movie like this, you feel like you'd be talking about Batman or Superman or Wonder Woman, The Flash... You know, characters like that. No, 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 no. For me, it was Raven and Damien who, I mean, really, really stood out to me as just incredible in their performances and the roles that they played in this movie as well. The both of them were hugely important, hugely important. Maybe you feel like that's a spoiler. It's I mean, it's not. But just I'm just saying, pay attention to Damien and pay attention to. To Raven. I mean, it's easy for me to say, you know what? Matt Ryan was great as John Constantine. You know I'm going to say that. Jason O'Mara, another fantastic performance as Batman. I think they picked the right Superman for this one. Jerry O'Connell just seemed to fit into what they were doing. 
And there were a lot of familiar names, a lot of familiar faces. I mean, Rosario Dawson's Wonder Woman, again, was great. But, I mean, those two just stood out to me in this movie. Maybe you'll feel differently about certain characters when you watch it. But it was just their performances, both singularly and together, just really brought something extra for this to me. And then the way it all ended... I thought was very, very interesting. And the conversation between the two characters that are actually going to begin the next chapter of this, I guess is the best way to put it, because again, we're at an ending point. We know there's a new chapter coming. And it's who makes this decision, or doesn't necessarily make the decision, or does the convincing, I guess I should say, that that adds to the intrigue a little bit, and then you see how everybody in that final scene, it kind of clicks for them what's about to happen and what's going on. And then you as a viewer go, okay, so this is where we're at. There's a finality to this that's very satisfying to me. There's a final fight that you will not see coming from a mile away that is unbelievable in the final act of this movie. I'm just going to go out there and tell you that right now. This is a fight that I never expected to see and I wished I'd actually seen a little bit more of even though you get it you get a decent chunk of it but I wished I would have seen a little bit more of that battle I could have seen that go on a little bit longer and again when you see it you'll know exactly what I'm talking about but you know it's hard to do something like this after so many years and have a fitting end and I really really feel like everybody involved here at Warner Brothers Home Entertainment, DC Animation, everybody just did a fantastic job. It was so incredibly well-written. It was so well-crafted. I'm not going to be the guy that sits here and tries to give you that comparison to Endgame. I'm just not going to do that. I'm just going to let this stand on its own. But, I mean, props to you know Ernie Altbacher and, and people like that that were involved in this, in the writing, uh, I mean, from Marigold Scott did a fantastic job helping out there as well. I mean, everybody behind the scenes, I mean, you know, James Tucker, Sam Liu, Sam Register, and there's so many names that I could rattle off here that just made the DC animated universe so spectacular. And to have it end like this was so, so fitting. And I'm so happy that we got a chance to see this thing. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. We're going to stay in the DC Universe and talk about the Flash Season 6 finale. We'll do that next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Matt Lesher from The Flash and Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Coming to an end a little bit early, Season 6 of The Flash this past Tuesday. So how about a spoiler-filled review of that season six finale. And I want to dwell on all the details of this episode, but I, here's what I do want to talk about right off the bat. I was worried about how this was going to go and how this was going to act as a finale. When we talked about Batwoman, everybody involved with the show seemed to say, well, you know, it sort of worked out because 20 was a good end for us. And it turns out episode 19 was where they decided to end the flash. And one thing I was worried about, because we were supposed to go, I think it was up to episode 22. I'm like, how is this going to be a fitting finale mainly because they didn't know that this is where it was going to end up ending so I'm like how 
are they going to make this work? And right off the bat, I have to say they they really did. And and that's props to the entire Flash team. I mean, to be able to pull this off, you know, kind of, you know, off the off the top of your heads and and know that this would be a fitting finale, I thought was pretty, pretty great. And the other thing I was worried about was, and this was throughout the season, not just not just at the end here, I was worried about how Eva McCulloch would be as what I like to call a carryover villain. And by that I mean a villain that's going to go from one season to the next season. I'm like, is she formidable enough to be considered a carryover villain? Then you just see over these last couple episodes especially what she can do and how she uses this mirrorverse. And now that she's out, all of these things that she's able to do, it's like, my goodness. Yeah, Yeah, she's more than fitting to be a carryover villain for sure and especially since you know you've still got iris trapped in the mirror verse too and that doesn't and that certainly doesn't you know fix itself by the end of this episode either and that was another thing i liked it's like okay so this isn't over they don't get her out so now you've definitely got a little bit of angst heading in to next season i also like that they kind of flipped the script on on carver's Villains, right? Carver's, you know, villain trio, trio of Ultraviolet, Doctor Light, and Sunshine, where they kind of turn on him at the end and be like, "Hey, Eva's not going to treat us like slaves, so we're going to go with her, and that's how we're going to battle all you guys." So I, I, and they get away too. That's the other thing. They, they get away. I mean, they, they don't necessarily get away. Eva lets them go, and that was the other thing. The whole premise of Eva saying that her battle was not with the Flash. And we heard Captain Singh, or Mirror Singh, you might say, say that to Bear. You, we've, we heard that a few times, that she's like, look, I just wanted to kill my husband and get out of Dodge and take over his empire, and that's all I really want to do. I'm not, I don't want to fight you, so why don't you just step aside? And we see, and, and here's the other thing. It was a bit anticlimactic, when and this might be the biggest spoiler of the episode, by the way. So again, spoilers here. When Joseph Carver dies, it's a little bit hollow because it's like, okay, this was a bad dude that tried to kill Joe and and was an evil, evil guy. And now, granted, he's being killed, which is never okay, right? It's not cool. But and he's being killed by another villain. But at the same time, it's like, you know, how am I not supposed to feel like this guy? doesn't have it coming in a, in a certain extent, right? You know, I'm not going to be upset or even really that shocked that Carver dies because, I mean, you can only poke the bear so much before it's like, okay, I'm going to take you out. And that's exactly what ends up happening to Carver. And, and does Black Hole go down with him? That's another thing we don't really know for sure about this, right? So there's plenty of question marks headed in to next season, and that's one of the, I mean, if you want to do something for a finale, and then the very last thing we see is Iris get all pixely and disappear, and does that mean that, does she get out? Does, does Eva let her out? What happens? We don't really know for sure what happens with Iris, so that was another really, really good cliffhanger. Really quickly, I mean, the whole story with Caitlin leaving the show, we knew she was going to be leaving the show because of the baby, the way they handled that with, with her mom and, and Frost. I thought that was really, really cool. I still just love this dynamic between Ralph Dib- Dibney and Sue Dearborn 
and I know Ralph and Sue, that that, that relationship's only going to continue to grow. I mean, he met the parents. That was very, very interesting. And what happens with Sue being framed for Carver's murder, that kind of keeps her in the loop, right? Because she kept looking for that way out. And now she's not going to get that way out. She's going to be on the run, or at least in protection. Anyway, and I love the evolution, too, of Nash Wells. And I know he's got all the Wellses in, in his head, and I'm, I'm sure that that helps things out a little bit. But like when he confronts Barry about almost taking that deal with Singh to hand, o- hand over Carver, right? I thought that was a really great moment. And then we finally get that, again, finality with the whole storyline with Allegra because, you know, they, I thought they dragged that out a little bit too much throughout the season. I understand Allegra's beef. I really, really do. I don't necessarily disagree with how she felt. But I thought at a certain point, you know, you were just dragging it out to drag it out. But now that it's over and done with and they're going to start to maybe, I don't know, at least be civil to one another. They don't necessarily have to be besties or anything. But the, at least, they'll, you know, that's not going to be a contentious relationship that we really have to think about anymore but it just this would it felt right as a finale and I was really really worried that it wouldn't but the the I should never doubt the amazing people behind the flash that they know exactly what they're doing they know what they're talking about and yeah I'm bummed that the season got cut short but ultimately other than being frustrated that Barry didn't know that was the real iris for most of the season and man did it let me tell you that frustrated me quite a bit I thought it was a really solid season. And by the way, don't forget, blood work is still kind of lurking as part of this too. And how, what his role is going to be going forward, we can't really say for sure. So again, a lot to look forward to coming up in season seven of The Flash. Don't know when it's going to be, but I am definitely going to be looking forward to it. This week, the Down and Nerdy podcast is brought to you by Mint Mobile. And I know I don't need to tell you that now is not the time to be paying too much for your wireless service. I mean, with all these hidden fees and inflated prices and stuff like that, this is where Mint Mobile comes in because they save money, cut out the overhead, and that's one of the ways you can actually cut your wireless bill down to 15 bucks a month. When I first started using Mint Mobile, I mean, the last time we talked about Mint Mobile, I kind of just gotten started. The setup was so, so easy. And then once I started using the service, there was actually a point where... I turned my Wi-Fi off. You know, you usually use your phone on Wi-Fi, right? I was so surprised at how fast the mobile network was for Mint Mobile. Not only did it keep up with my Wi-Fi, it actually surpassed it at a certain point where I just kind of use my Mint Mobile phone without the Wi-Fi on now because it gives me faster service. And you can actually choose between 3 gigs, 8 gigs, and 12 gig plans of 4G LTE data. You can even use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your own number as well. So kind of, you know, this is the kind of time to ditch that old wireless bill and switch to Mint Mobile. As a matter of fact, you can get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free. You don't even need to go anywhere. So go to mintmobile.com slash nerdy to get your wireless bill down to as low as 15 bucks a month. That's mintmobile.com slash nerdy. Start saving money and slash that wireless bill for your family down or even add that new phone that you've been thinking about adding for the kids or another member of your family. Now's the time to do that at mintmobile.com slash nerdy. 
That's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of The Flash Season 6 finale, but we've got a premiere to talk about. Let's talk about the season premiere of Stargirl, spoiler-free, next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Adrian Gray from Sci-Fi's Vagrant Queen, and you are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. A star is about to be born. That's right, my spoiler-free review of the upcoming premiere of Stargirl, first on DC Universe, by the way, on May the 18th. That's a Monday, and then Tuesday... May the 19th, it will air on the CW. Now, I'm specifically going to kind of talk about the the DC Universe version of this because that was the early episode that I saw. Again, thanks to my friends at Warner Brothers for helping me out with that. And I will say this much. No matter where you're watching this thing, do not miss the first five minutes of this show. Like, seriously, the first five minutes of this show will grab you and not let go. I'm going to tell you that right now. Even though things you know, take a shift after that initial wave, still, you're going to be locked in after that for sure. By the way, spoiler-free review, since we this hasn't actually aired yet as of me recording this and airing this show, so I don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't actually seen it yet, which is no one until Monday rolls around. So I just want to throw that out there. Now... Automatically, you know, we know that Breck Basinger plays Courtney Whitmore and, you know, who ends up becoming Stargirl. That's certainly no secret, right? But what you don't really know until you watch the show is it's not as simple as you think it is. Because when you see the trailers and you see the photos, you think, okay, this is the connection to her being Stargirl. And what we find out when we get to the episode is, is there's actually more to it than that. And it's not as cut and dry simple as you think it is. And that adds more depth to the story. And it, when I'm watching it, it made me go, huh, didn't, I didn't realize that that was going to be a part of it. And, that's, and that was a really cool thing for me to have happen. That was something that I wasn't expecting. So that really added to it. And, you know, in many ways, Courtney is your typical teenager. And, I mean, her life is getting upended. She is leaving Los Angeles and going to Nebraska. That's a huge culture shock. That's a huge change. And she's got a stepfather now. And there's there's things that come with that. Whether it doesn't matter what the circumstances are, right? But we find out, you know, what happens with, you know, you know, something that happens in Courtney's childhood that might make her not exactly be a fan of a stepfather. In this case, played by Luke Wilson, who's Pat Dugan. And well, we find out more about Pat as things go along, and we you we know again that's one of those things we kind of know going in from the trailers and, and things like that. But I'm gonna again, I'm not gonna spoil anything. I'm gonna let that go that whole thing play out. Now you see how the, the you see Courtney with the staff in the promos, right? You you see a lot of these things. It's just funny how things play out and how we get to that point. In this episode, and then there are certain things that happen in the episode as a result of that that are really, really cool as well. But there's also plenty of ordinary things that happen in the episode, partially because you you have to have that. You have to deal with the real life element. And I think one of the underrated performances in this episode is Amy Smart's performance as Courtney's mom, Barbara. I think that she really stood out to me, and there was a couple of very emotional moments from her and there's also a you're you're gonna you're gonna feel good for her at a couple points 
in this episode, especially when you, when, when you go from the flashback to the present day, you're going to go, wow, you know what? Good for her. I'm, it's, it's really good that she was able to do that for herself. And again, that's something that you'll you'll understand when you see the episode. And Pat's son, Mike, who's played by Trey Romano, is going to be a fan favorite. I, I, I can already see this coming. I, I can already see just the way that he, the way that this character presents himself and the way that his attitude in general is very, it, one of the time I laughed the most, I think, at him more than anybody in this first episode. I don't know if that's going to continue to be the case, but I got to tell you, I was very, very impressed with Mike Dugan, and I, and I hope we get to see more of Mike Dugan. He is not your typical boy of his age. Let me just put it that way. And not in a weird, weird way either, in a completely perfect way, if you ask me. You're going to see a lot of different characters in this show right off the bat. And then you're going to, and there's going to be a lot of things coming at you in this first episode. But it all rounds out. This was a, this was a very, very well-crafted first episode. And that it gives you a lot. It teases a lot. But it also says, hey, okay, here's your initial origin. Here's how things are going to be discovered. And then... Okay, where do we go from here? Here's your linear story that you can follow. There'll be offshoots here and there, but this is where we're going. This is how her school life's going to be. This is how her, you know, budding hero life is going to be. Here's who's going to be a problem for her. Here's who she might lean on as friends and things like that. And this is how her family dynamic's going to be. Everything is set up very, very well for the future success of the rest of this season. You at least have an, uh, somewhat of an idea about all of these aspects of the show going forward. And there, and there are certainly a couple of question marks heading out of the first episode as well, because you have to have that too, I think. So all in all, I got to say, I was really hoping to love this, and I, I really, really did. I, I actually ended up liking it more than I thought, and it was, and it was a little bit more deep than I expected it to be. There were certainly plenty of fun moments in there as well. There's a couple of moments that are going to make you roll your eyes too. Not a, not in a bad way, but make you go really, oh, I can't really come on. And to, to some of the characters, you might get frustrated with some of the characters at times, but you should do that. You should have these emotional reactions. And there's going to be a couple of things where you're like, is that really that? And you're going to be right. So just, you know, keep your eyes open on this. And there are Easter eggs that you're going to want to look out for as well. Bottom line is, whether it's on DC Universe or on the CW, yeah, watch Stargirl. Watch this premiere because I've got a feeling you're going to want to see the rest of the season after this because I know I sure as heck do. That's going to do it for my spoiler-free review of the Stargirl series premiere. Up next, we've still got some nerd news to talk about. Let's get on it. I'm James Witham, and this is the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Jeff Lemire, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. More signs of the new normal. It's time for nerd news. And this is something that you had to kind of figure was going to happen anyway, right? But the CW announced today during a call with reporters about their upfronts, which are usually done in a big presentation, but you can't have a big anything right now. So here it is. Apparently next season's scripted series, the original series, which includes the Arrowverse series, are going to be delayed until 2021 with the exception of 
of Supernatural, which will air its final five episodes of the series in the fall of 2020. Now, there's a lot to digest from this. First of all, of course, the obvious thing of of being a bummer that we won't be able to see any of these shows until January at the earliest. Everyone kind of admitted this was a very fluid situation. But if you're looking at the schedule that's going to be coming up, for the CW, it's actually quite interesting. I mean, if you're looking at the fall, let's just do the fall of 2020 here for a second. And I'm only going to talk about interested series for, you know, stuff that we would normally watch. So Swamp Thing is going to be on Tuesday at 8 o'clock. So Swamp Thing, I'll have the Flash's time slot. Of course, the CW picking up episodes of DC Universe's Swamp Thing during the fall. So you'll be able to see that first season again this time on the CW and tell me a story is going to be right after that, which was part of CBS all access again, picked up by the CW to fill this programming gap in the fall. If you were a Pandora fan, a show that aired last summer, that's going to be Sundays at nine o'clock. So if, if you want to see the second season of Pandora, there you go. As far as 2021 is concerned, here's what things look like. Black lightning goes to Mondays at nine o'clock, which has kind of been its home anyway. You're going to have The Flash, it's normal, Tuesday at 8 o'clock slot. And then Superman and Lois is going to be the first of the new series, as far as the Arrowverse is concerned, to premiere at 9 o'clock on Tuesdays. Wednesday still sees Riverdale and Nancy Drew. Then the new Walker Texas Ranger reboot is going to be at 8 o'clock. And then you've got, on Sundays, Batwoman at 8 o'clock. And Charmed will put the 9 o'clock spot. Now, you might be wondering, hey, what's the deal with Supergirl? Well, remember... Melissa Benoist is pregnant with her first child. So that kind of is going to push production even further anyway. So they're kind of moving that to late spring or even early summer, which is when we might see DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Again, because that's usually a mid-season show anyway, that trend is going to continue. Now, one thing that was noticeably absent, or at least a couple things actually, were Green Arrow and the Canaries and the 100 prequel for 100 fans might be wondering, What's going on with that? Noticeably absent, even from the mid-season schedules. And all we got from that was that they were still under consideration. And in these times right now, that is a scary thing to say. Because usually if you've got a super amount of confidence in something, you're going to at least say, okay, it's coming, it's just going to be later. We didn't even get that with Green Arrow and the Canaries. And that's kind of concerning because you would think that this would be a show that's kind of a no-brainer, right, to go ahead and continue on and and be a spinoff and at least get a shot at a first season. And the fact that this is kind of being delayed or thought about or second-guessed is interesting. I mean, I understand the, the 100 has a huge following, and I know that it's going to be ending... But you can almost understand how a 100 prequel series, any kind of, anytime you say prequel, it's like, okay, eh. And I know that 100 fans are screaming at me right, right now, saying, what do you mean, eh? And I know you need to get your fix, I understand that. But with Green Arrow and the Canaries, it's, yeah, it's an Arrow spinoff, but it's also a continuation of a future storyline, too. But also with characters that are very recognizable. You'd think that this would be one that, and an, and an all-female lead cast, basically, too. Let's put, let's put that out there. You'd think that this would get some serious consideration, and it seems like, you know, the cold faucet's turned on more than the warm here, and I don't know 
how or why that's happening. I don't know if, if they don't think that the story is strong enough. I don't know if they feel like they didn't get enough of a response from the soft pilot that they had during the final season of Arrow. This just seems like a real head-scratcher to me. And I wonder if maybe the social distancing guidelines might have something to do with it too. Are, are we going to have to? Are we going to be able to do combat in shows the way that we have that we have in the past? At least in the near future. I'm not talking about distant future. I'm talking about near future as it comes to this upcoming season. So maybe the way that the show is presented could be one thing that changes things a little bit. So who knows? There's just a lot to consider there. I just thought. That was really interesting. We also got some synopses. Is that the plural for for synopsis? It is now. That's what we're going to go with. And for the next seasons of these series, I mean, the Flash seems kind of obvious. And I'm not going to go ahead and read through these because, I mean, you're going to look them up online anyway if you haven't already. Well, one, a couple things that stood out to me is very, very interesting. First of all, is that Hush is going to remain on Batwoman this upcoming season. And don't forget, spoiler alert for the... For the finale of Batwoman Season 1, the doors flung open to Arkham, so all these rogues just went spilling out into the street. So it looks like we're going to get a lot more Villain of the Week on Batwoman coming up, as far as this synopsis is concerned. But Hush was the big one for me, so Hush will definitely carry over in the next season. And, of course, Alice is going to carry over in this whole war on Batwoman. Yeah, that's one of those things that's going to happen. And I say spoiler alert for the Batwoman season finale. That was actually in the penultimate episode, so you've had plenty of time to watch that. So I don't really feel bad about talking about that. I'm not going to spoil the season finale because as of me recording this, it hasn't aired yet. So I'm not going to do that to you. Don't worry about that. But but Hush is going to be sticking around. Not much we know for sure. As far as Legends of Tomorrow is concerned, maybe minor spoilers for this, but I won't talk about any specific characters. But I will talk about the, the, the villain or villains for next season according to the synopsis, will be space aliens, for lack of a better way to put it. It's going to be, you know, beings from outer space. So who or what that could entail is a discussion that, you know, we could certainly have on social media for weeks and months until we actually get some sort of a a, a trailer or, or confirmation on that. And there's going to be a new legend. We know that as well. So, again, who that's going to be based on this storyline should be pretty, pretty interesting. But so, yeah, I'm sad that we're not going to get any Arrowverse stuff until 2021, but it's not like we're going to have nothing to watch either. One thing we might be able to watch, and I can't stress might enough, is the New Mutants movie. Marvel's New Mutants has been moved again for a theatrical release again. This time, we're looking at August 28th of 2020. First of all, I don't feel like that's far enough away. Honestly. I mean... And I know some other movies are coming out before that. And I know, let's get back to normal and all that stuff. I'm not going to sit here and make that argument with you, okay? Whether you're on the side of let's open back up or we should be be doing more to stay inside and prevent the spread of the virus. That's not a conversation I'm going to have on this this show. And I'm not going to, you know, give you my opinion one way or the other either. It's just not it's not part of this discussion for me. What I'm saying is, is that is it too soon to think you're going to have a huge success for a theatrical release in August. That, I kind of think it is. And maybe you're thinking, well, by then, shouldn't, you know, the social distancing guidelines be, be you know, be lessened? We could, should we be able to have more people inside of places and things like that? Yeah, I mean, sure, maybe. But again, and, and the same goes for Mulan, who's going to, which is going to be opening in July. Like, are you comfortable with having 
50% full theaters about getting your money back at this point. I mean, making that production money back, especially for Mulan, which has got this huge budget. And and for New Mutants, it's been moved 60 times. I don't know. There, there has to be some sort of record being set by this New Mutants movie as far as moved release dates. And maybe I'm being a little overdramatic, but it seems like it's been, it's been moved for like the past three plus years now. And it gets to the point where if it can't make this August date, to me, it's a, it's a then or never situation. You either make that August date. There, here's your options as far as I'm concerned. You either make that August date and live with it. You put it out on Disney Plus, which everybody seems to want to do in the first place. Actually, I'll give you a fourth option. You put it out on Disney Plus. You put it out video on demand like we've been doing for so many other movies nowadays. Or you just shelve it entirely. If you, It just feels like Disney really doesn't want people to see this movie. And 20th Century Fox, even before Disney acquired them, is just as guilty of this. Of pushing it. It seems like somebody doesn't want this movie to be seen for some reason. I'm not sure what it is or why or what the or what the problem is, but that's what it seems like at this point. What why are we so afraid of having people to see this movie? And you know what? It's it's kind of built itself some residual hype of it always gets talked about. I mean, I think I've talked about it every time it's been moved. It always seems to get talked about. So yeah, I guess there's no such thing as bad press, but at this point. You're putting this movie in a pressure situation of, man, they, they're really trying to get this thing out there for some reason, or they don't want people to see it, and you think that the audience is going to respond to that when a lot of people are probably saying, you know what, forget it. It's been so long now, I don't even care anymore. It just doesn't matter to me. And you've seen the trailers ad nauseum, right? So you've already made up your mind as to whether you wanted to see this or not. And maybe you, you're just sick and tired of the delays. I just think that this is a it's a bad omen. It's a bad sign. And I'm not saying don't do it at all. I'm saying you should you should release this. I just don't know if you're going to get a whole lot out of this as far as theaters are concerned. I'm not sure that that's a road that you really want to go down. Now, speaking of releases, DC is kind of flipping the script here because it seemed like, you know, with everything rolling back out with comic shops starting to service customers again, and things like that. DC's not only kind of went with a different distributor than Diamond. Now it seems like DC is sticking with this new comic books coming out on Tuesday thing. So they're allowing retailers to sell their books a day early. First of all, I want to jump out ahead of this and say this is not the first time that retailers have been allowed to sell books early. Okay, so let's not act like This is a brand new thing. Now, is it a regular thing? No, it's going to be for DC now going forward, it looks like, until further notice anyway. But it's not like this has never happened before. This is not necessarily new ground. It's just new ground as far as all of your books are concerned. And here's the deal. There's no written rule anywhere saying that all new comics must come out on Wednesday. I know that that's been the growing trend, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that has to be the case all the time, forever and for always, right? Why can't certain comics come out on certain days? That certainly happens digitally. Why can't we do that with physical releases? And maybe you think, well, so now I got to go to my local shop twice. First of all, how is that a bad thing? You know, going to your local comic book shop more, like that's a problem, right? Two, it should encourage you to set up a pull box in the first place, get the books that you want put in your pull box, you could still go pick up your books on Wednesday. It's just your DC books 
We'll be in there a day earlier, and if you want to go pick them up on Tuesday, go pick them up on Tuesday. You know, what's the big deal? You could still pick up your poll on Wednesday if you want to, and you could still grab new comics on Wednesday if you want to. There's nothing saying... It seems like everybody's taking this, taking offense to this, and it's like there's no hard and fast rule saying that you must rush to your local shop on Tuesday to get something. Now, if there's a DC title that you really, really want, then you better get your butt up there on Tuesday and get it. I guess that's what I'm saying. And and DC getting out ahead of this, I think is really smart. Why not release your books a day earlier than everybody else? Maybe Marvel will come out and do Marvel Mondays. Who knows? But what I'm saying is, is that there's no rule saying that it has to be Wednesday. And maybe that's history. You know what? Blu-rays and DVDs always come out on Tuesdays. And movies always come out on Friday. Not anymore, because we started doing those Thursday at 6 o'clock p.m., you know, pre-early releases, right? So movies have even pushed things back in recent years to Thursday releases, late Thursday instead of Friday. So why was that okay? But what DC's doing with their comics suddenly isn't okay. I don't think it's a big deal. I think it's a smart move on DC's part, at least in the short term, to get their books out a day early. Maybe people want to go to their shop on Tuesday to get their books, and they they figure, okay, well, you know, you're going to spend more money on DC books before any of the other books. But again, you can set up a pull box to your local shop, which you should be doing anyway. You can do that, and you could still pick up your DC books on Wednesday if you pre-order them anyway. So things can still be the same for you, depending on you how you approach it. Really quickly, we've got a, speaking of DC, we got a br- another brand new adaptation coming to Netflix. This is actually from Vertigo, or what used to be Vertigo anyway, and that's Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth is going to be coming to Netflix. And here's the interesting thing. Robert Downey Jr.'s actually involved in this. Now, there's nothing saying that he's actually going to be playing any characters in this adaptation. I want to get that out there right now. What it, what this is, is this is a production from Robert Downey Jr.'s production company, along with executive producer Susan Downey, Amanda Burrell, and Linda Moran. Now, that's going to be an eight-episode First season, it's going to be hour-long episode. Some of the cast was actually announced. You've got Christian Conver- Converry, who was in Beautiful Boy and Tiger Rising. you got Nanzo Anzi, who was in The Laundromat, Zoo, and Game of Thrones. You've got Adele Akhtar, who was in the Les Mis TV series, and Will Forte, who you know from Saturday Night Live and a whole bunch of stuff. And it's going to be narrated, actually, by James Brolin, which is going to be, I mean, that's just going to be uh, amazing narration as far as I'm concerned. And Arrow showrunner Beth Schwartz is actually going to be co-showrunning this along with Jim Mickle. So that'll be really, really interesting as well. Now, the way Netflix describes this series, if you're not familiar with it, is a broad appeal, family-friendly storybook adventure of Gus, who is part deer, part boy. Again, if you're not familiar with it, he leaves his home in the forest to find the outside world ravaged by a cataclysmic event. He joins a ragtag family of humans and animal children hybrids like himself in search of answers about this new world and the mysteries behind the hybrid origin. So again, and I don't remember this series too, too well because the, the final issue was in 2013. So it's it's been a while since I've read it and I haven't revisited it since back then. But again, you just take this, if you're not familiar with it at all, if you've never read an issue, I have. I just haven't dug them out yet to refresh my memory. Because you're talking about something that spanned 40 issues and it started in 2013. You do the math about how long it's been since the first issue came out. But this has a broad appeal 
sort of thing to it. it, it there, there's going to be a coming of age story in here. Clearly, you've got a cataclysmic event. So what you know, what does the world look like? Sort of thing. You've also got the dynamic of the humans and the animal children hybrids to to talk about. It just seems like there's so many different angles that this show can take, and there's a lot of intrigue here. It just feels feels like this one could be really, really interesting. Even if Robert Downey Jr. never appears on camera at all, it's another comic book series that's being brought to life on Netflix who seems to be broadening their horizons as far as that is concerned once again. So uh, this is another example of, you know, there's going to be more comic book series to watch coming up in the next couple of years, not less. So while you're kind of bummed out right now, think of everything that the future holds, and you've got to have that positive outlook of, yeah, all these things are being announced. No, we're not able to really shoot anything right now, but the future is bright once we can actually get back to it. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, let's talk some Snowpiercer. Things are going to get a little chilly in here. We're going to head to the tail with Katie McGinnis. Up next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. This is Brianne Howie from Fox's The Passage, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. So if your quarantine's going well, hopefully it is. Imagine being stuck in the tail of a train forever, because that's what we're dealing with in Snowpiercer from TNT, which is going to be happening this and every Sunday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on TNT. We just happen to have Miss Josie Wellstead with us this week. It's Katie McGinnis. Katie, how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you, James. How are you doing over there? Doing fantastic. Now, Katie, we've seen Snowpiercer told in different ways through books and movies and other things. Now, in your opinion, what kind of makes this story Uh stand out from the others? Well, I guess nothing that's great about long-form, a long-form version of it is that you get to um, really into the intricacies of the different characters, the different cars so the different class systems and everything so and rather than following just one kind of narrative all the way through it takes twists and turns and you get to delve into more detail and sort of feel out the world as a whole a bit more which i think is is the great thing about it um you know it's 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 riffing its own (laughs) it's its own take on um on the original so it's kind of got you know it takes twists that you wouldn't expect and yeah, kind of delves fully into the subject in a way that you sort of only can with long form, I think, which is lovely and such a um, such a joy to be a part of something that can fully fully explore the world. Definitely. Now, when I saw the premiere, it was amazing to me how many roles that Josie seems to have with the tail group. So, without spoiling anything, how would you kind of describe her? She's very much kind of. A, a caretaker in the tale. She sort of looks after everyone. It's really important to her that she's kind of that that everyone is is surviving as best they can. She feels very responsible for everyone in the tale and for her people and her her crew. So uh, she's she's really she's a leader. She sort of she she really fronts up the tale and sort of takes responsibility for people who are sort of less strong than her or might need more help. But she's also sort of got a soft soul to her. And, you know, take, takes care of everybody, keeps an eye out, stops fights, starts fights sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's really sort of kind of a bit like mother of the tale, I guess. Kind of, yeah. But, she's, you know, she's a warrior. She's, she's fierce and she'll fight for what she believes in. Uh, and, you know, justice to her is one of the most important things. So she sort of won't stop at anything to make sure that 
how people are given the fair treatment they deserve. Most definitely. Now, we've seen in the trailers and things that we've seen so far that Leighton and Josie certainly seem to have a very special bond. What do you think kind of drew them to each other? Well, they have, they both uh, have very strong beliefs in, in sort of justice and equality and doing the right thing and fighting for the underdog and taking on powers that might feel bigger than themselves um, in order to make things more equal. So they've really, they really bond over that shared goal. And they have Miles as well, who's a young boy in the in the tale, who Josie sort of becomes a surrogate mother of in the tale. Um, and Leighton has kind of become his surrogate father, so they've, kind of, they've ended up creating a, a version of a family between them. That kind of, so they really rely on each other and they really... Uh, they really want, because there aren't many children in the tale, they really uh, focus on Miles and the kids of the tale as being the thing that might be able to change all of their futures and they, they hold the hope for them in the train. And there's, you know, there's a spark of, there's attraction between them. They kind of, you know, yeah, it's kind of, it, it's a bit like, they're like comrades in arms. They really respect each other and uh, want the same things and, and are both, yeah, fighting for fighting for their people alongside each other. So you mentioned the whole parenting thing. Let's talk about that for a second, because with everything that's going on in the world right now, parents mm-hmm. like myself, there's their kids at, ho- or at home, they have challenges with homeschooling and other things. With Josie being that mother for yeah. four miles, talk about the challenge of, challenges of actually raising a child in the tale. Yeah, so I guess I feel like it's kind of the things that sort of are being reflected in everyone's lives now a bit that suddenly the small things feel really important. So for Josie and Miles, it's, it's really important to her and, and to him that he knows where he comes from, uh, who his people are, that he, that he supports his own learning. Uh, so he sort of, he does lots of, um, he follows Leighton around the back of the tail, sort of um, learning from him so that he kind of, as he grows up, can take, uh, take on all that, information and kind of you know i hope to hopefully become a leader himself but it's of course in the tale packed with hundreds of people in starving conditions it's a big challenge to kind of keep keep them entertained to keep them not going mad like we're all finding now being you know stuck in our homes but for them for her i think it's all about Encouraging community and encouraging them all to be responsible for each other. So the kids aren't, the kids are treated like adults and respected uh, as such, so that everyone's in it together, rather than um, being kind of told what to do, which feels makes the whole tale sort of one massive family, which feels like how and why it works as a unit. Talking to Katie McGinnis, who of course plays Josie on Snowpiercer, which you can watch every Sunday night at eight o'clock east at nine o'clock Eastern time on TNT. Now, Katie, being in the tale, the unknown has to be something that's yeah. really kind of a constant. So, how much do you think not knowing about what lies ahead in the other cars affects the mental state of everyone in the tale? It's become a sort of a, a goal and a mission to find out what is beyond there. So, it's a kind of it's a it's a focus for them to be able to map out what's in front of them. I think they're constantly trying to find ways to glean information, to make contacts up train, to try and piece together what's in the next car and the next car to 
hopefully one day lead to a point where they might be able to break through and get further forward. So I think instead of them being kind of uh, thrown around in worry and anxiousness about it, they've made it their goal to find out more and, and to sort of infiltrate the system. Now, Katie, we've seen that Leighton leaves the tail at some point. We know that in the trailers. We won't say anything else beyond that. But if Josie got a chance to leave the tail, what do you think she would want to do first if she was given any option? <laughs> ah, what would she do? I think it would be. I mean, it, it would be really. It would be really hard for her to leave the tail, but she's. <laughs> Because she's so loyal to those people. So I think the thing that she would first want to do is bring the others with her. <laughs> That's a great answer. What a humanitarian answer that is. I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so I'll do, I'll do you one better then. How about this? Now, if you find your way all the way to the okay. front where the microphone is, that can send the message to the entire train, what would be the first thing you would say if you knew you didn't have much time? The first thing she would say, there is hope and we're all in this together. I guess. That's mm, not bad. That's, that's not bad. One. That's not bad at all, actually. Letting people know that they're there. Yeah. Maybe sing a song. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. So keep, keep the spirits up. That's, <laughs> that's, that's perfect. I love that. I love that. Now, now, Katie, we've seen the, we see the brakemen, and they seem to be like the more immediate threat for everyone in the tale, but do you also feel like there's just as much angst, ang- anger amongst the group with the people in hospitality as well. Yeah, hospitality, I think, is sort of a whole other level. But the brakemen are kind of the, you know, the muscle. But hospitality, from the tail's point of view, you can tell that they that they have some sort of control, and it's that they that because they are the highest sort of the highest level up the train that we ever see from the tail. You know, they're they're dressed immaculately. They're from a completely different world. So there's a lot of animosity towards them because. We feel directly threatened by them and that that they're causing a lot of the unnecessary pain that the term are going through in the system in the system staying in the, the way it is for their benefit. Most definitely. Now, Katie, before I let you go, once people actually get hooked on the show after this first episode, because I know they will, and they get mm-hmm. to know the characters a little bit more, is there someone to. that you can tell us that you're really excited to see Josie interact with during the season or have scenes with this season? Yes, <laughs> there's uh, the, the link with her and Nathan is sort of run through the series, which is great. And there's also a kind of surprise meeting between Josie and Melanie at one point that um, takes an unexpected turn. Ooh, that's exciting stuff. That's called a tease, boys and girls. And if you want to find out how that plays out, you're going to have to watch Snowpiercer every Sunday night at 9 o'clock Eastern Time on TNT. Watch it live. Make sure you are there. This appointment viewing, people. You're going to want to see what's going on with Josie. It's Katie McGinnis. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thank you, James. Lovely to talk to you. When I tell you that things get intense on Snowpiercer, you're going to have to trust me on that. Things get very, very intense, very, very fast in this first episode, and you'll see Josie, and Josie's one of those characters that you just want to root for. I mean, wait till you see the things that she does in this first episode alone. Never mind beyond that. You're going to be really excited to watch Snowpiercer every Sunday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time on TNT. I mean, I'd say watch it again, too, after that, because once you watch it live, you're going to want to watch it again to make sure that you didn't miss anything for sure. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Again, thank you so much to the folks at TNT and Katie McGinnis 
for joining me this week. You want to find out more about the show? We've got trailers and stuff up at Down and Nerdy Podcast. Dot com. Also follow along on social media at Down and Nerdy seven five seven on Twitter and on Instagram and at Down and Nerdy on Facebook. Make sure you're supporting our sponsor this week too, Mint Mobile. You go to mintmobile.com slash nerdy and you get your wireless service down to about fifteen bucks a month. It sounds like a great deal if you ask me. But first and foremost, remember you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly. Be good to your fellow nerds.